This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast. Relevant and engaging content designed to help you dominate the day. Calling all surgical education junkies, Behind the Knife is looking to add two new fellows to our team. We are thrilled to be adding these positions. We've got so much great content in the pipeline that we don't even know what to do with ourselves. I'm talking big-time projects that are going to make a big impact on surgical education. We've got specialty oral board review, medical student education, digital education research, and a trauma surgery video atlas, just to name a few. We're looking for a couple of enterprising surgical residents to take the bull by the horns and spearhead one of these major projects, not to mention help with the podcast, video, and other ongoing, exciting, behind-the-knife goodness. We are offering a two-year fellowship starting July 2022 and ending June 2024. Only residents beginning their two-year research time will be considered, and the residents' institutions and the mentor must approve of this fellowship. Check out the show notes for the application link. All applications are due May 25th. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Behind the Knife with your bariatric team from the University of Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha, Nebraska. As a reminder, I am Dr. Ivy Haskins, and alongside me is Dr. Tiffany Tanner. Thanks, Dr. Haskins, for the introduction. Today, we will be discussing two journal articles that deal with the topics of GERD and bariatric surgery. Yes, I love these episodes because we can talk about somewhat elusive and perhaps controversial topics within the field of bariatric surgery. While the national trend has been an overall increase in the vertical sleeve gastrectomy, We do see a large number of patients with GERD preoperatively, and we are not always sure how best to inform them with respect to the evolution of GERD following vertical sleeve gastrectomy. Correct, Dr. Haskins. On one hand, many surgeons believe that overall weight loss should help to reduce GERD and certainly repair of any hiatal hernia appreciated at the time of vertical sleeve gastrectomy. But the disruption of the coral attachments and the relatively high pressure of the sleeve anatomy itself may lead to worsening GERD. Dr. Haskins, what are your current recommendations to patients? Great question, Dr. Tanner. I think certainly this is a gray area. Um, First, I tell all of my bariatric patients that we are too early in our experience with a vertical sleeve gastrectomy as a standalone procedure to be able to predict which patients will have worsening or de novo, novo, excuse me, GERD postoperatively. But I do encourage patients with symptomatic GERD and especially those patients with breakthrough symptoms of GERD despite the use of a PPI and those patients with grade C or D esophagitis on preoperative endoscopy that they may benefit more from a Roux-en-Y gastric bypass than a vertical sleeve gastrectomy. Dr. Tanner, what are your practices? I agree. In general, I counsel patients that um, if they have significant GERD, that I am concerned that they may have breakthrough reflux with a sleeve gastrectomy. And so I urge those patients to more consider a Roux-en-Y gastric bypass. 
Um, and for evaluation of my patients, all of our patients get an upper GI. And I, I also have all of my patients get an EGD at the time of operation to better evaluate if they actually have any underlying esophagitis, because occasionally we can see patients that have asymptomatic underlying significant esophagitis or even Barrett's reflux. And so I think it's worthwhile to scope those patients preoperatively. Yeah, I agree with you, especially because a lot of insurance companies only allow for one bariatric surgery in a patient's lifetime. And certainly if they commit to the sleeve and then go on to have esophagitis or Barrett's or even esophageal cancer, um, that requires a reoperation that likely won't be covered by insurance. And even though it's very uncommon and there are only several cases documented in the literature of patients going on to develop esophageal cancer, it is still a concerning and it would be a very big problem for our patients who undergo sleeve gastrectomy. So I think it's worthwhile to uh, further evaluate these patients. Yeah, I think the most concerning are the patients that have silent reflux, which we'll talk about a little bit um, in these studies, but certainly, you know, without any sort of routine post-operative surveillance endoscopy, we don't know how many of these patients are out there. That's a very good point. All right, well, let's get into it. I'm going to summarize the first journal article, um, which is entitled The Impact of Sleeve Gastrectomy on Gastroesophageal Reflux Disease in Patients with Morbid Obesity. This is an article that was published in Obesity Surgery earlier this year. It's an article from a group in Spain that looks at both subjective and objective presence of GERD preoperatively and at one in 18 months post sleep gastrectomy. So preoperatively patients at their institution underwent an upper GI study, esophageal manometry study, 24 hour pH probe and gastric emptying study. An EGD was also performed preoperatively and at 18 months postoperatively, but only in patients with evidence of esophagitis on their preoperative endoscopy. The study included 52 patients who underwent laparoscopic sleep gastrectomy at a single institution from 2016 through 2019. There were four surgeons included in the study and all of them performed this vertical sleeve gastrectomy in a standardized way, including the use of a 36 French bougie and beginning of the sleeve four centimeters from the pylorus. Table one shows that a majority of the patients were female. The average BMI was 45. 16 of the patients were on a PPI preoperatively, but only six patients had symptomatic GERD. Interestingly, 10 patients were smokers and 18 patients had a diagnosis of a hiatal hernia preoperatively. And figure two really shows the most important findings in this study. The patients are divided into three groups, those with symptomatic objective GERD, those with silent objective evidence of GERD, and those with no subjective or objective evidence of GERD. Importantly, no patient with symptomatic GERD had improvement in their GERD at either one or 18 months postoperatively. And for the other GERD groups, including silent GERD and no GERD, there was an initial worsening of GERD symptoms at one month postoperatively with eventual, eventual excuse me, improvement relative to one month postoperative symptoms, but there was no return back to baseline or their preoperative um, symptoms. The rate of de novo GERD was found to be 76% at one month postoperatively and 54% at 18 months postoperatively. There were some additional interesting findings in the study, including no worsening of esophagitis at 18 months postoperatively. Although again, there are only four patients who underwent um, pre and postoperative endoscopy. In overall de novo esophageal hypomotility following sleeve gastrectomy, 
an elevated median Demeester score at both one and 18 months postoperatively and improved overall gastric emptying. These are interesting findings, Dr. Haskins. Can you tell us why you included these additional findings? Yes. Um, I think it's important that we bring up these additional findings because when we think about GERD and sleeve gastrectomy, we often tell patients with no or mild symptoms that weight loss and improved gastric emptying may help to alleviate their current GERD symptoms, but the authors did not find this to be true in this study. Generally speaking, the prevalence of GERD is high in our bariatric patient population, but subjective GERD symptoms do not always correlate with objective evidence of GERD. This lack of correlation is particularly important for our sleeve gastrectomy patients because it is standard of care at all institutions for these patients to undergo preoperative and surveillance endoscopy, and therefore we do not know the true magnitude of objective GERD in this patient population. Excellent points. I found the study to be particularly interesting for the reasons that you stated. We typically do find some reassurance in weight loss and improved gastric emptying with respect to the risk of progression of GERD. While this was a small and single institutional study and not all patients underwent postoperative EGD, the study does give me pause in terms of the preoperative workup for our patients. I agree with you. My takeaways from this article are one, Consideration should be given to preoperative and surveillance postoperative EGD for our sleeve gastrectomy patients. And two, we need more studies to help us better determine the protective factors and potential risk factors for de novo or progression of GERD following sleeve gastrectomy. My summary, Dr. Haskins, articles like the one you summarized are always the most interesting because they give us a pause and challenge our current notions of some of the risk factors for worsening or de novo GERD in our sleeve gastrectomy patients. Moving right along to the next article, I'm going to be discussing effect of concomitant laparoscopic sleeve gastrectomy and hyaluronate repair on gastroesophageal reflux in patients with obesity, a a systematic review and meta-analysis. This article was also published in obesity surgery earlier this year. All right, Dr. Tanner, let's see if the authors had similar findings to the article I just discussed. As we've already alluded to, this study performed a systematic review and meta-analysis to try to answer the question regarding hiatal hernia repair at the time of sleeve gastrectomy and its impact on postoperative GERD. Inclusion criteria were sleeve gastrectomy with mention of a hiatal hernia repair at the time of surgery and extractable data regarding GERD. A total of 18 studies were included, one randomized control trial, six prospective observational studies, and 11 retrospective observational studies. The number of patients included in each study ranged from 10 to 97, and the duration of the follow-up ranged widely from 6 to 94 months. The authors looked at five outcomes, effect of hiatal hernia plus sleeve gastrectomy on GERD symptoms, resolution of GERD following hiatal hernia repair and sleeve and sleeve gastrectomy, de novo GERD following hiatal hernia repair and sleeve gastrectomy, hiatal hernia recurrence, and GERD following hiatal hernia repair and sleeve gastrectomy compared to sleeve gastrectomy alone. Overall, the authors found that this was that there was significant heterogeneity across the studies, which made pooling the analysis challenging. Of note, there was significant differences in how the hiatal hernias were addressed. There was posterior repairs, anterior repairs, repairs with mesh, and the mesh included either biologic or permanent meshes. For the incidence of GERD following hiatal hernia and sleeve gastrectomy, 15 studies were included, and the authors found that there was a statistically significant reduction 
from 54.7% preoperatively to 29.7% postoperatively, with an increased reduction at more than 12 months postoperatively. For GERD remission, 15 studies were also included, and the authors found an overall remission of 64%, with again increased remission rates at a longer term follow up. For de novo GERD, 13 studies were included, and the authors found de novo GERD rate of 12%. For Heidelhorny recurrence, only five studies reported this, and the authors found an overall recurrence rate of 11%. And finally, for impact of GERD comparing Heidelhernia plus sleeve gastrectomy to sleeve gastrectomy alone, the authors found an overall improved effect of GERD with performance of hernia repair at the time of sleeve gastrectomy. Wow, Dr. Tanner, very important outcomes of interest and really gives us something to think about, especially considering how different the outcomes are that you just reported compared to the ones that um, I discussed in the paper um, previous. That's true. I think one of the strengths of this article that I just presented is that it's a systematic review and meta-analysis, and the authors performed several different analyses to attempt to account for the heterogeneity across studies. They also reported outcomes from several institutional from several institutions, and while the indi- individual studies had relatively small sample sizes, the pool analysis from most of the outcomes of interest had over 300 patients. I think the other thing that should be called out is that in, in your study versus in our study, there was a significant portion of, pa- of, of patients, um, in fact, all of your patients in your study underwent uh, a very detailed workup for their GERD, including, um, you know, the, the gold standard, which is a, a, a pH study. Um, however, in the study that I looked at, uh, they were primarily going off of patient symptoms. And we, as we all know, uh, there are varying degrees of GERD. You can have GERD that is simply treated with uh, dietary alterations, or you could have severe GERD with breakthrough, um, despite optimal medical management with twice a day proton pump inhibitor. And so I think that um, that's one problem with this, this study that I looked at is that you really can't tell the difference or the severity of the reflux that we're looking, looking at. Um, the other problem is that they also don't really call out, you know, what type of hiatal hernias that, that they were talking about. Were these small sliding hiatal hernias or were these larger or more substantial, moderate to large hiatal hernias? Cause that would make a difference too. So there is the opportunity from some, some significant selection bias, um, in the study that I was reviewing. I agree. You bring up some great points and certainly, you know, hiatal hernia repair varies significantly. And what you and I may call a hiatal hernia may not be appreciated by another surgeon. And so the question is, you know, is every hiatal hernia actually being repaired and how much does that contribute to the resolution of someone's GERD after a sleeve? Definitely things, you know, you can do statistical analysis every which way, but it's not necessarily going to account for those differences. So those are really good points. Um, And the other thing that I kind of mentioned before, you know, it is not routine, um, especially in the state of Nebraska, for most patients to undergo a preoperative or a postoperative EGD um, after their sleeve gastrectomy. And a lot of that is because of the insurance requirements, right? So most insurances in the state of Nebraska 
require an upper GI, although I think you and I tend to be a little bit more um, proactive in terms of endoscopy. Do these studies change your workup? Do they give you any consideration in terms of what to do with these patients postoperatively? I think that, um, look, I think they do give me pause. And um, I think that we are probably underdiagnosing uh, some patients with esophagitis, as we know that there are patients preoperatively who we find who do have asymptomatic um, esophagitis. And I'm sure that 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 we are having patients who do have postoperative esophagitis that are going undiagnosed as well. And so I think that's an important factor um, to consider in all of this. Um, the other thing that I guess um, I would call out from looking at my study and kind of what how I interpret my study as well is that there was one randomized control trial in the, in the study that I looked at. And what they found was that there was no difference in the change in GERD scores with the sleeve gastrectomy versus sleeve gastrectomy with hiatal hernia repair. Um, so when comparing that to the rest, the rest of the findings of the rest of the studies, that does give me pause that, uh, that there, that some of the numbers may be due to a little bit of selection bias as well. Yeah, certainly. I agree with you. Um, and you know that we talk about having a low incidence of Barrett's and esophageal cancer after sleeve gastrectomy, but again, you know, we don't actually know what the true number is, right? Because we're not doing these postoperative surveillance endoscopies. And honestly, I think even an N of one is enough to kind of consider changing some of our practices. Absolutely agreed with that. All right, folks, there you have it. Two very thought-provoking articles detailing many of the important technical considerations and risk factors for GERD in our sleeve gastrectomy patients. This is such an important topic in bariatric surgery, and certainly these articles have motivated me to continue an individualized approach to our bariatric surgery patients with the, with the understanding that de novo or worsening GERD are real potentials that require consideration with the discussing the pros and cons of vertical sleeve gastrectomy with our patients. I couldn't agree with you more, Dr. Tanner. We leave you, our listeners, with some interesting and somewhat contradictory findings. We hope you've enjoyed this journal review with your bariatric behind the knife team. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. Stay safe. Be sure to check out our website at www.behindthenife.org for more great content. You can also follow us on Twitter at Behind the Knife and Instagram at Behind the Knife Podcast. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to leave us a review. Content produced by Behind the Knife is intended for health professionals and is for educational purposes only. We do not diagnose, treat, or offer patient-specific advice. Thank you for listening. Until next time, dominate the day.